SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Sorry, this is Ace, um, Tom Ace. Tom Ace! Pleasure to meet you, Mr. Camp. And congratulations on all your success. You smell terrific. I was just telling Melissa, one of the first lessons we learned back at Stanford Law was the modern proliferation of food poisoning claims against wealthy private homeowners. In fact, if one were so inclined, one could make quite a lucrative law practice with little else. <laughs> How is everybody feeling tonight? Very, very well, thank you. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your host of Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shirky. With me is William Thrasher. Smoking! And this time around, we are doing, as you might guess from Thrasher's quote, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Uh, we're going to look at the first film of the trilogy released in 94, directed by Tom Shadyak, produced by James G. Robinson, with a screenplay by Jack Bernstein, Tom Shadyak, and Jim Carrey, based off a story by Jack Bernstein, starring Jim Carrey, Sean Young, and Courtney Cox, and Tone Loke, the music by Ira Newborn, cinematography Julio Macat, edited by Don Zimmerman, um, of a budget of $12 million. this made $107 million, uh, worldwide, and what's, um, what's interesting is... I'm going to ask you a question here, Thrasher. This came out in 94. Where do you think on the United States box office this landed on the list? Domestic, I mean. Domestic in the oh. U.S. and Canada. Its domestic box office was $72 million. That's spot number two. No. Um, 16. Oh. It was beat out, <laughs> among other things, by two other Jim Carrey movies that came out that year. The Mask oh, that's and Dumb right. and Dumber. But also things like the Flintstones, True Lies, Forrest Gump, The Lion King uh, were above it. But below Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, were movies like, um, and this is again the domestic gross, movies like Stargate, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult, uh, D2, The Mighty Ducks, and uh, City Slickers 2, The Legends of Curly's Gold, and Beverly Hills Cop 3. So... A lot of uh, a lot of big movies came out that year, and Ace Ventura was not. Um, you know, it came out in February, which is a really strange time for a comedy, and it did it did really well. And uh, this was the start of Jim Carrey's. You know, this helped make him into a star, I think, and it was sort of cemented with uh, the Mask and Dumb and Dumber all coming out in the same year. And the next year, he was in Batman Forever as the Riddler. So yeah, I mean this. 1994 was a big year for Jim Carrey. Uh, before this, he was, if he was known for anything, he was known as the token white guy on In Living Color, which I think had just recently been canceled uh, around the uh, like uh, the year before this movie came out. And with like within a year, didn't didn't he become the highest paid actor in Hollywood for a while? I think it was a few years. Yeah, famously for uh, the Cable Guy, he set a record. 
for highest paid actor that um, has since been broken. But yeah, um, I'm looking at this, and uh, In Living Color went from 1990 until uh, 94, and this film came out in 94, so yeah, he would have been wrapping up his final season of In Living Color at the same time this movie came out. And uh, I, I think back to In Living Color, and I'm a little surprised, you know, they never did any movies that spun off characters from that show, like a Homie to Clown movie or Fire Marshal Bill movie in in a strange way or like or even a, a sketch movie because Olivia in Living Color yeah, is yeah, yeah. huge and a lot of it I, I've caught it in reruns and I will often check uh, check out different sketches online in fact I think uh, in the previous series we did I talked about the Richard Pryor scared for no reason sketch a lot of it's really dated but there's just as much material that really really holds up and and still passes muster today and it is it is shocking that more people from that show didn't go on to to bigger things like i think after after jim carrey at least uh, you know in in front of the camera david allen greer has had uh has had the best career and even then he's almost always in supporting parts Right, and uh, it should be noted, you know, the director of this, Tom Shadiak, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that, this was his first uh, feature film that he directed, and, and since then, you know, he worked on uh, a lot of other Jim Carrey movies, like Bruce Almighty and Liar Liar, but he also did um, such big uh, movies as uh, Patch Adams, and he, he also did the sequel to Bruce Almighty as an Almighty, so he's has a, done a lot of comedies. Well, yeah, then there's no. also, he, he's buried deep in the credits, but serving as consultant was a, uh, a former In Living Color writer, Steve Odekirk, who also went on to have a pretty fruitful creative relationship with Jim Carrey, and is now kind of, he's now kind of a super producer of children's animation for Nickelodeon. And I think Steve Odekirk uh, is credited with the, the script on the sequel to this one, When Nature Follows. Yeah, he had a much bigger involvement in the sequel. Right. Um, so I, I was doing some research on uh, the script to this, and uh, you know Jack Bernstein was, uh, was shopping around this script for a while, and uh, they just couldn't get it made. You know, at one point Rick Moranis was considered for the lead, wow, um, which would have been that... a, a different movie. And I think when Jim Curry came on, they rewrote it a lot. But um, yeah, well, let's go over the plot on a, on a high level. Um, Ace Ventura is a pet detective based in Miami, and it turns out the uh, Miami Dolphins. Um, Dolphin. Dolphin, yeah, is called Snowflake, is missing, and their uh, Miami Dolphins are about to be in the Super Bowl, and they're going to do a big halftime show with the Dolphin. So Ace Ventura is uh, is on the case, and meanwhile the Miami Police uh, Department kind of mocks him along the way, although he has uh, Emilio, uh, played by Tone Loke, uh, a rapper, um, doing a uh, sort of his friend in the department that helps him with things. And he's I trying say- to... It is awesome seeing Tone Loke just playing a, a normal police detective. Yeah, they don't. It's not when I when I saw him in the credits, I forgot he was in this movie, and I thought, oh, he would uh, do. You know, it'd be like a stunt casting, or maybe he'd perform a music number. But nope, he's just playing a part, and he he's absolutely fine in the part, right? I mean, he, he, he also has for Funky Cold Medina is uh, one of his big hits. He was also the voice of Sea Bear on Sea Bear and Jamal. He was the voice of the uh, Goana Lizard in Fern Gully. Yeah, so he's uh, he's he's been around and. Um... 
Well, he he yeah, he's he also a, just got a, one of a he's song got a really good soundtrack voice. called. He does, and he he did the song in the soundtrack called "Aces in the House," which you could have fooled me. I didn't really notice that one. I'll have to. I'll well, probably put that as music at the end of the show. Yeah, it's not in the movie. It's just it's just in the credits. And I had completely forgotten that this movie had a '90s expository rap song. Oh, it's it is one of those where it says the plot of the movie. Is that right? Yeah, it mentions you know it mentions rescuing a kidnapped dolphin and just talks about how how awesome Ace is. Okay, that's my tone low impression there. Sounds like Carvey Firestein. Yeah. Um, so when did you first see Ace Ventura? For me, it was in the theater. Oh yeah, I saw it in a theater. I think I I think I saw it opening weekend. Yeah, I don't even know why I saw it, but it just seemed to be the comedy that was out that everybody was seeing, and I was in. Uh, middle school at the time and i mean talk about a movie that's perfect for middle school boys it's just very silly and jim carrey's very um i mean the ace ventura character just seems insane doesn't really seem like much of a character it's an excuse for for jim carrey to uh do a lot of um do a lot of imitations yeah do his comedy bits and what really surprised me i was digging the through some research, and Jim Carrey said he had a hard time figuring out how to play the character, and then he decided to base it off a character from In Living Color, Overly Confident Gay Man. And I went back and looked at some of those sketches, and it's absolutely right. Like, he, even to the alrighty then, to how he walks, to how he does all the weird pauses when he talks, it, it's very much like that character, except Ace Ventura. Um, I guess he could be gay or bisexual, but they don't really go into that. Would, like wouldn't that be a great reveal? Because he does, he yeah. does have sex twice in this film, both times with women. But that that would be a great reading of this film that Ace Ventura is a secret bisexual. Although that yeah. also doesn't quite. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get to the ending. Um, yeah, there's some uh, problematic things about the ending. Uh, and I, I'm looking at the poster, and this was you know, you got Ace Ventura has this very signature kind of bobbed big boy hairstyle. It's this nice swoop. Swoop with the loud Hawaiian shirts and the striped pants. And uh, it says, uh, he's the best there is. Actually, he's the only there is. And well, yeah, that's, and that's what I love about this, about this movie. I love that he has such a specific job. He's a licensed private investigator, but he works exclusively with animals. And it apparently was based off an appearance on the David Letterman show of a real pet detective. That inspired the writer to add the pet stuff to the script he was working on. Well, I mean, with with I mean, there's there's big there's big money in pets. There's exotic pets. There's smuggled pets. There's there's show dogs, show cats, what have you. It in in a way, it makes sense that there would be such a job as a pet detective. But I liked it <laughs> that uh, Ace Ventura. He's very street level. Like he's mainly looking for missing animals, all of which have preposterously large rewards attached to them. Yeah, and it's it's nice at the beginning, you see him just like in the, it's sort of like in the James Bond tradition, right? It's a standalone sort of mission that he's doing. He's undercover as a as a delivery man with some yeah, something and fragile, get... and he's just kicking it around, and you hear it smash everywhere. And it's it's great physical comedy that intro, and and it's also it's also one of those things where you know you've gone to see a movie called Ace Ventura: Pet Detective, you know Jim Carrey's in it, but then once it starts, it's Jim Carrey in the brown delivery man uniform, and you're like oh well maybe he becomes a pet detective later. Yeah, it's a little bit of a of a misdirect, and uh, you see this he goes to this kind of creepy man's 
apartment, drops off the package, and... Uh, he gets the man to sign for it with a really complicated form uh, yeah. that takes a long time. He makes goo-goo faces at this dog that the guy has but doesn't seem to like. Uh, and then, you know, he 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 takes the form and he walks away. The guy never even opens his package, which that's the one thing that I find difficult to believe. People tend to tear into packages the moment they get them. Well, he, he takes the package, great... the guy takes the package, throws it over his shoulder, and you hear it crack again as it lands. Yeah. So it's... But, but I mean, um, yeah, but it turns out Ace takes the dog. You don't see that part, really, but he... Um, he swapped out the dog for a, a stuffed animal. Uh, and he leaves a card that says, you've been had by Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Which I need cards like that. I can think of many t- moments in my life where those cards would have only sweetened those moments. Right. And and then, meanwhile, Jim Carrey has to run with this little dog uh, in his jacket or whatever it is. And meanwhile, this guy's angry at him, chasing at him with a baseball bat, trying to smash up his car. Well, well you know what I love is that... I. Is, is much of an oddball and an outright asshole as the Ace Ventura character can be, I do like that he, he truly loves animals. And, you know, he, he makes sure the dog is comfortable in his car. He has that, the ashtray, he's replaced with a little dog feeder so the dog has something to snack on. And it, it really it really makes him very, it's very endearing. It, it, it helps us like the character, which is why when the guy shows up with the baseball bat and starts smashing his car, we are worried for Ace's life. And then he comes back, he argues with his landlord about he owes, he's late on the rent, and he, he assures, you know, there's no, he has no animals or anything. And then he comes in, and you get this wonderful sort of Dr. Doolittle-style reveal of all these animals coming out of the nooks and crannies of his apartment. There's, there's, a, doll, there's a cat door in his refrigerator and penguins slide out of it? Yes, that was, that was a good touch. It's it's uh, a it's a wonderful shot seeing him surrounded by animals, but we also get one of the first sex scenes because he returns the dog to its owner, who is this very this very busty woman, who uh, instead of pay, I, I, you know he he talks about the monetary reward. He says, "Well, how about I just take your pants off?" Uh, and it's again we get physical comedy because she ducks down out of frame. We hear the zipper being undone. And then Jim Carrey grabs the door frame and is being like violently moved yeah. around, <laughs> whipped around back and forth, and uh, doing all the Jim Carrey noises and physical gags. And I mean, this is like a PG thirteen movie, right? So they can't. Uh, there's no, even though there's two sex scenes, there's no nudity in it. There's some cursing. I wouldn't say it's especially violent. I was a bit surprised reading some behind the scenes material that they had filmed. Um, you know, some of the, the murder scenes originally had, like, blood and people's heads getting cut off and stuff huh. and cut out of it, which which makes sense. I think, you know, this is a pretty light film as far as the tone goes, and although there's some dark aspects to it as, as you go on, um, that, that there, would have been a bit too much, I think. There's a part of me that would like to see what an R-rated Ace Ventura would look like, uh, but... Uh, instead of get instead of getting that, we then get the uh, we then get the nighttime kidnapping of Snowflake, the Miami Dolphin, and that's and as Wallace Greenslade used to say on the Goon Show, and this is where the story really begins. Right, and uh, you get some of the relationship between uh, Ace and the Miami Police Department. And it's it's led by Lois Einhorn, who's played by Sean Young. Sean Young. And I, I found, I didn't even realize this was Sean Young until I looked it up. I think she looks very different with the hair she has in this movie. 
compared to how she looks in, say, Blade Runner or Dune. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, so one thing we, we didn't mention about, we, we sort of went on a bit of a, a uh, an Ace Ventura jag back when we did our uh, Shermometer Critiquing the Critic podcast, because there's, there's a lot of derisive gags about Ace Ventura in that movie. Uh, but there, there's a, another point of connection because there was also that running gag in uh, in the critic that the the angry violent beer bottle was played by Sean Young. Right. It's um, I think Sean Young does a, a pretty good job in this this movie. You know, she's supposed to be a hard ass, and she is. It's not usual for the uh, sort of police lieutenant who's bossing around the hero. To be a, a woman? Yeah, it's it's. I actually I cannot think of any other film in the '90s that had that. Right, most of the time it's just a an old man chopping a cigar, saying, "Oh, you're going to lose your badge, or this is your last case, or something." But it's very much. She is playing a type, but she does a good job of of being a a hard ass and just angry all the time. It doesn't come off as as a bitch as much as you might think of it, as much as it could have I think it's more that she's someone that cares about her job she's just real no nonsense uh, right to the facts uh, about it and um, yeah I think I think she she's a good uh, sort of nemesis for Ace and they don't want they don't want him to get involved on the other hand he has expertise he has hunches and so they, they send him off with um, he has a meeting the uh, the publicist for the Miami Dolphins, Melissa, played by Yeah, who from Cox. her secretary found out about the world of pet detectives. That's right, because she used Ace on a case and uh, recovered her aunt. It might have been a dog. I don't quite remember. Um, yeah, it was a... It was a the a, a Polynesian dog that had, that had uh, gotten lost in the wilderness and uh, was in bad shape when Ace found it. <laughs> But uh, as part of this, though, we do get one of the most sort of well-remembered and heavily referenced bits when he's talking to his his friend Tone Loke to get some leads for the Dolphins case, and and that's when we get the infamous talking out of the butt scene. Yes, and what's um, what's interesting is uh, you know this came out in February of '94. Friends did not premiere on TV until September of '94, so this was before. Courtney Cox became, like, world famous for doing Friends. Um, yeah, uh, allegedly she is embarrassed by this movie. I'm not sure why. I think she's fine in it. Um, she's well, not no, she, she's fine in it, but I can understand... I mean, the, the movie does have some cheap shots, uh, and, and that, so that could be what it's related to. It does. I have to... My dog knocked over a bunch of stuff in the floor. Can you talk about Courtney Cox for a minute? Uh, absolutely. I guess I guess the one... The thing, the thing about Courtney Cox uh, uh, is that no. she... Uh-uh. I think she's she's good in the movie. I wish she had some comical business to do because, like Jim, Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura is clearly the comedic focus of the movie, but virtually every other character gets to display a little bit of wit and humor. Tone Loke uh, gets that with some of his slang. The other detectives get that with you know always mocking Ace Ventura and making dead animal jokes. Uh, Einhorn gets that with the way you know she's just always very very biting and is always putting Ace down. Courtney Cox doesn't get any of that. She's 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 really she's only a foil for Ace. And while I do like I do like the romantic subplot they get, it's just comedically it's not all that satisfying. 
like it's it's sort of you know what it's like it's sort of like with uh, like Lacey Underall in uh, in Caddyshack where you know she, she's a good presence to have but most of her interactions with the stars are just laughing at them and saying how funny or great they are right she's really just the uh, the straight man so to speak and to be fair Jim Carrey is so crazy in this movie that it's hard to try and compete with him on a comedic level I mean I. You know, everyone else in the movie except for Jim Carrey plays things relatively straight. And I think that's a smart choice because it just makes him seem all the more crazier if he pops out that much more. But, so one thing one thing that I do like about the Ace Ventura character, because, like, despite the fact that he seems to be irresistible to women uh, and all that, I do like that he is a real detective. I like that he can conduct... A, a real investigation and can put two and two together and do those intuitive leaps of logic that show up in a good detective story. Because, um, you know, we, he checks out the crime scene, he does his Star Trek bit, but it leads to the first the first real clue. Because not only does he have the whole crime scene figured out when he shows up, just rattling off details about the van just based on, like, the, the a tire print in the mud, um, he finds this uh, amber stone in the uh, dolphin tank's filtration system. And it's regrettably, a, the significance of the stone does not become apparent to him until later, but but it's laid in. It is. They set that up, and uh, yeah, you're right, it's a real sort of, it's not the most complicated mystery, but it's a mystery nonetheless. Also, you have, um, I like the, the bit of casting where the billionaire at this party, Ronald Camp, is played by Udo Kier. Yes, I... I I did not know who Udo Kier was at the time, but, okay, so here's the deal. It's probably been 20 years since I've last seen this movie. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I watched, I, I was blown away that Udo Kier is in this movie. It just made me like it even more. And for those who don't know, Udo Kier has been in... Uh, everything? Everything, yeah. So many, you know, everything from uh, Barb Wire to Armageddon to Blade... He plays really creepy characters. He has a wonderful, a subtle German accent. Uh, more, more modern audiences might recognize him as the voice of Professor Pericles on Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Inc. Yeah, he's, you know, just always very intense. And uh, let me go back here. Also, I, I liked his performance in uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert 2. He plays Yuri. Oh, that's right. He's the sort of mad scientist uh, with psychic uh, powers, Russian. But he's powers. he's the perfect kind of upper cre- uh, upper crust stuff shirt that really plays well against an oddball like Ace Ventura. I wish they had a little bit more screen time together, but his presence is very very welcome. But yeah, that's the first that's the first big thing um, in the movie is that Ace Ace decides to put his ear to the ground, so he knows he knows this. Uh, this, I guess, lack of a better term, eco-vigilante who works from underneath this heavy metal club uh, and uh, and finds out that there's this exotic, there's this rich guy who's an exotic, an exotic fish uh, collector who's connected to the Miami Dolphins. So he figures he maybe he stole it or he knows people who did because he would probably have illegal pet smuggling contacts. And so, yeah, then we get then we get to we get the whole the whole party scene, which 
has one of the more endearing interactions between Jim Carrey and Courtney Cox because while they're waiting in front of the door to be led into the mansion, she talks about how he shouldn't do anything to embarrass them or get them kicked out. He goes, oh, you mean something like this? And he just starts doing these weird little Jim Carrey alien moves. <laughs> and it's like such a, it's such a perfect like high school boy sense of humor, but it, but it works. It's, it, in his hands, it's rather charming. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's really a character without any uh, any filter. And uh, what we get after this is he, you know, eventually they, they look and they... Well, he, they, he claims yeah. to, have a, to have a bowel distress, which he really doesn't need to do, but that's to cover him looking for the bathroom. It's to cover him sneaking away from the party. And he finds sneaking around the mansion uh, using, using the Mission Impossible theme from before it was cliché. Uh, he finds this massive tank, and he assumes that uh, he assumes Snowflake the dolphin is in there. Turns out it's not. Turns out it's a great white shark. Yeah, and it's a good bit of business that we don't really see the struggle, but we see the aftermath. Like his his pants are just shredded. He's soaking wet. He's trying to go back into this fancy party and act like nothing happened. And there's this great bit because he 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 still is keeping up his ruse. He acts like he just came out of the ba- the, the the bathroom and had some sort of <laughs> emergency. You know, you get the whole "do not go in there" that was in all of the trailers. There's this one little thing he does though that I love is that there's like water in his shirt pocket and he slaps his shirt pocket and just this jet of water flies out into the crowd and you see you see the people scatter like they didn't know that was going to happen. Right, it's uh, it's a good bit of business from uh, from Jim Carrey there, and I, it it is worth stating. This is after in *Living Color*. Uh, Jim Carrey, you know, between this and *The Mask*, and he was just doing really, really silly movies. He wouldn't do more serious things until later. And I kind of wish we'd see Jim Carrey go back to such a crazy nutball character because he hasn't had to play one in quite some time. Well, with all the reboots and remakes, I'm. I'm what I'm shocked that there isn't like an Expendables, but it's all Jim Carrey's early roles. Just use digital trickery to put them all in the same movie. I, I did find an article that whatever company, I think it's Morgan Creek Productions or something, um, is is working them on other. They want to reboot a lot of their franchises, including Ace Ventura. So whether that'd be a sequel with Jim Carrey or with someone else, I don't know. But it's possible we'd see Ace on the big screen again in a few years. We'll have to we'll have to see. Um, and I like that we get this montage. Oh, of, well, well oh, this yeah. is where the, the gem comes, the, the yes. Amber Stone comes sure. back. Because as he's being kicked out, he shakes hands with Udo Kier, and Udo Kier's wearing this ring that has the gemstones. And that's when he realizes the connection is that the Amber Stone was cut to fit into a Super Bowl ring. And so whoever committed the crime had to have a Super Bowl ring meaning it's somebody who's intimately connected with the Miami Dolphins and so yeah his leg work to figure out like all he's is you find the ring with the missing stone you got the dolphin kidnapper and that's when we get that great montage of Ace ambushing all these different <laughs> Miami Dolphins players to check right. out he's, their Super Bowl he's ring. going off a photograph uh, of the 1984 team because it had that particular cut of the orange amber uh, in the certain design that he's looking for. And, um, yeah, my favorite is one that's sort of, they kind of do a diff- few different phases of it, but this uh, former Miami Dolphin is on the track, and Jim Carrey's trying to catch up with them, and he can't. 
And then he eventually jumps on his back and uses like he, ether or something to try he, and he knock him out. Him. Chloroforms him. And it's just what and you get this ridiculousness of Jim Carrey, he's already pretty tall, on top of this like tall muscular guy and really struggling to like get him down. Because you don't expect him to pull out a uh, chloroform-soaked rag and over this guy's mouth, but it, it and it, it does a smart thing. It like goes back to the main photo of the team, but he's he's doing an X over all of them, and you think certainly he's going to find one, right? And but he doesn't, and so that but, which I think is a, a good choice because again, it's more of a mystery. Like, well, who could it possibly be? Yeah, and and we also get sort of the. Ace Ventura's sort of obsession with being a master of disguise because there are moments in that montage where he's in disguise and he doesn't need to be like when he pretends to be like a pimply faced 14 year old kid to get an autograph. He doesn't need to do that. No, no. He, he doesn't. can just get the autograph. It's not a public signing. I love the bit where he's hidden in the mailbox. That's a great, a great moment. I, I love the bit that the two, the two that stand out from completely different angles is there's one where he's in a uh, he's in a shower room with one of the Dolphins players. Yes. And he he checks out the Dolphin player's package to get the player to punch him so that he can look <laughs> at the imprint of the ring That's on right. his head. Yeah. Cuz he was missing the stone, but then the other is when he's in a public restroom and he checks out one of the players and the player is into it. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about the one where the because I where the player is into it is that the when when the player like follows him out he does like this little he he does he does this really bad effeminate walk that is just so clearly affected it does not work it fails for me on several levels but like I love the idea I love the idea that there's a that there's a Miami Dolphins player with a cameo that's confident enough in their own sexuality that they'll do a thing where they're into Ace Ventura for the purposes of the joke. You're right. Like if he just tried to like uh, walk quickly after Ace, like like normally, like not affected, that would have been a better uh, punchline. But that you know, but as you mentioned, that is a good sort of. Um, twist there. Uh, there's also something that goes on where you're introduced to Roger Pedactor, who's the head of operations for the Dolphins, and he uh, he dies after falling from his apartment balcony and uh, I, Lieutenant Einhorn thinks it's a suicide, but Ace Ventura thinks uh, it's a murder. Well, it's it's again, it's it's his detective work. So, you know, he he makes a big deal. He's like, well, you, you missed two important things. There's a spot of blood on the railing of the balcony indicating a struggle. But two, you, you the witness, because there's a woman, as he comes into the scene, they're interviewing uh, the predactor's neighbor saying that she heard a scream. And he's like, you know, you, you, you are sure that this woman heard a scream. And yet you say the balcony windows were closed when you came out. And he does this 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 screaming thing, yes, like rapidly yeah. opening and closing the door. And he's the only person that's noticed those are soundproof windows. If the window was closed, the neighbor couldn't have heard the scream. Yeah, and that's the noise he did. I, I could swear that was something from the trailer. But he goes, <laughs> like this very funny modulated sound with a soundproof window going open and shut. Yeah, and then he, then he turns into the exorcist from the Poltergeist movies, and this was a line that a lot of my friends quoted. Ah, yes. The, the, this half is clear. That that became that just became a thing. Like, if the, if a job was done, one of my circle of friends would go, <laughs> this house is clear. 
And that's something else that we hadn't talked about is that this is the movie that gave us the bad Jim Carrey impression. How so? Well, just that, that, that like, okay, so pe- people our age after this movie came out would work the occasion, would pepper their dialogue with the Jim Carrey impression. <laughs> then we grew yeah. up, but then real assholes wouldn't stop doing it and still do it to this day. <laughs> And the one, yeah, the one one of my friends would say, I think it's from this movie, is like, uh, if I don't come back in five minutes, wait longer. Oh, yeah, from when he's checking out the tank. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good line. I mean, there are some, some good quotable lines. But, um, yeah, so that complicates things. And that's when, so Ace hasn't found anyone with the, with the matching ring. And then that's when they realize that the rings were made right before a change in the Dolphins lineup and that there was a kicker, there was a kicker named Ray Finkel who got one of those Super Bowl rings and then uh, was, for, for failing a field goal, was sort of like laughed out of the league uh, and he figures, well, he's, and he can't be accounted for. Nobody knows where Ray Finkel is. And so Ace figures, well, Ray Finkel then has to be the kidnapper, and that's when we, that's when we kind of start to to drift into the third act of the film. Yeah, and I think this is one of my favorite scenes where um, Ace goes pretending like he's a real Finkel fan and goes to uh, the house of um, Finkel's parents. And, and, and it's great, and it's like the house is all graffitied. Ray Finkel's nickname was the Mule, and it's all like graffitied with "Mule can't kick" and things like that. Uh, and yeah, and, and his parents, I do like, I do like the, the parents, like, you know, the, the father's this kind of gun, I don't want to say redneck, but this gun toting guy, the mother, they, they don't make it clear until the father flat out talks about it, but the mother has some sort of dementia. Um, Ray's been missing for, for years and she insists that he's going to be home in five minutes at all times. But we get this great, just this great thing where that apparently during that field kick, uh, Dan Marino was supposed to hold the football with the laces out, but they were laces in, and the laces being in was what caused the the the, the kick to miss. And so she's just obsessed. And so like she has, she makes these little football cookies with the laces out. And they're um, yeah, I mean they they have the film for him to watch the play. And it's done really dramatically, but uh, my favorite part of the sequence is the reveal of Finkel's room, which is really creepy, which has all this uh, graffiti on the walls and newspaper clippings. This is Die Marino Die. Die Marino Die. Which is German for the Marino V. (laughs) And it's just uh, just a real disturbing reveal. And although Ace doesn't get what he's looking for, he gets um, more context about Finkel. Yeah, because Finkel's father explains that uh, Finkel had a mental breakdown after after getting kicked out of the Miami Dolphins and was eventually sent to a mental institution, uh, but then he got out and hadn't been seen or heard from again, but the mental institution was always like calling them to pick up his, his personal effects. So uh, Ace and Courtney Cox decide to go to the mental institution uh, to to see if there's any clues among his personal effects. And this is when we get, we get some more, some of Jim Carrey's best physical comedy where his cover for go to the mental <laughs> institution is he's going to be Courtney Cox's brother who is a professional football player, but who has had some sort of mental trauma and doesn't, 
doesn't know the game is over. He constantly thinks he's in a football game. It's like a party quirk from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Man who thinks he's constantly in the Super Bowl. And he's also, he's in a tutu for some reason. Yeah, they for, have his hair for no really reason. crazy. Well, this is the one thing, like this being a comedy and there being a scene in the mental institution, you would expect it to be full of quote unquote comedy crazy people, but it's not. Uh, the only one who acts like a buffoon is Ace Ventura, which is, is true to the character. And apparently people fall for it. But, oh God, uh, his best bit though, because he's always doing these pratfalls and things, but his best bit is he does this whole uh, slow motion thing of catching the football and slamming into the doctor. But then he does an instant replay and he does the entire thing backwards at double speed yes it it is an amazingly choreographed bit of business it's well done and uh in but meanwhile ace is in there he's he's looking for clues well yeah he does find he does find uh finkel's personal effects and this is when we get this is when we get again he doesn't find exactly what he needs but he finds something because, you know, Ray still had his obsession with Dan Marino. And, and so there's like a stack of isotoner gloves who we learned uh, who we learned earlier. Dan Marino's doing commercials for isotoners. And he, in fact, gets kidnapped during a uh, during the commercial taping. And it's a pretty creative, almost like 1960s Batman level kidnapping, where in the commercial, he's supposed to get tackled by two football players. But the football players have been replaced with henchmen in football uniforms and they just carry him straight out. But what he finds, the other thing he finds is these newspaper clippings about a missing, about a, a hiker that was missing and presumed dead named, uh, named Valerie Einhorn. Oh, sorry, Lois Einhorn, Lois. which is, of course, the name of the police lieutenant. And, and Ace knows, well, that means Einhorn has to be in on it. But what does a missing hiker have to do with all this? Um, and so that's, that's the next clue. So things are getting tight. The Super Bowl's coming up. And this is this is when we you mentioned you used the word problematic earlier, and this is where we we start to move into that area because Ace is doing all of his uh, he's trying to figure out what the connection is. Yeah, and, and I don't, and you know, I don't have a problem with this plot twist. It's just how they how they handle reveal it, it at the very end is just it, it's very mean. And I don't if they were doing this today, they would do it a different way. I think I don't think he'd get away with this. But yeah, there's a very famous scene where, you know, Ace is trying to play around with the clues, and he's like, Einhorn, Finkel, Finkel, Einhorn. And he's like, oh, Einhorn is Finkel, and it was... Uh, had, uh, well, what happens is the dog, uh, one of his dogs, like, he can't give the dog food because he hasn't been paid, so the dog just kind of flumps down onto a stack of newspapers, or onto a stack of papers, and in those papers is a picture of Finkel, and the dog's shaggy hair draped over the picture looks like woman's hair, and then that's when he makes the connection that the only way the case makes sense is if Lois Einhorn is Ray Finkel. That Ray Finkel escaped from the mental institution and assumed the identity of the missing hiker. And it should be noted that the real quick picture you get of Finkel is actually Sean Young with a fake mustache. I never caught that. But it, it's a real blink-and-you-miss-it thing. And it's it's mm. her hair is different enough that, you know, you don't really notice. But I think that's a nice bit of it's good, it's good attention makeup. to detail. Um, but then, then Ace, who earlier had this whole film noir seduction thing with Einhorn in her office and, and briefly right. made out with her, he 
he freaks the he-, he freaks the hell out. Like I guess I guess this is this is the thing. Um, I I I do not like. I do not like prejudice uh, in any form, but as a comic device, I love it when prejudiced people are made to look like buffoons. So there is a part of me that likes all the crazy shit that Ace goes through when he when he realizes that Einhorn is a man, uh, going so far as to like burn his clothes, staying naked in the shower, <laughs> in the shower but screaming. It, yeah. yeah, but it go it, like I I don't mind him being a dumbass buffoon. Because I can, I can laugh. I can laugh at how fucking dumb it is that that's his reaction to finding out he kissed someone with a penis. Uh, well, and then him, it, him, you know, having to trying to vomit, and he puts the plunger on his head and pushes it back and forth. Yeah, it, it is. It is suitably absurd and, and pathetic in that way. Though the thing that I don't, the thing that I don't like is that the whole thing is underscored to an acoustic version of the theme from the Crying Game. Yes, which the big twist in that is a similar sort of thing. Yeah, where where a female, uh, where like the female lead turns out to in fact to have been uh, born a man, and it's it's like that. I think that that's what. That's what makes that's the thing in this whole sequence that do, that doesn't work for me. I feel like that's that's that doesn't work as a parody. That doesn't work as a tribute. They they should have they should have completely left that song out. That being said, I think enough time has passed where people might not recognize what that song is and not get that part of the joke. That that's entirely true. It could be a reference lost to the ages. Um. But, you know, we get, we get here at the climax where they have uh, Marino, Dan Marino, and uh, Snowflake the Dolphin are in the same area at this... Uh... They're at a marina, uh, ironically enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and Einhorn is there with the gun, and she has, a, she has her flunkies, and um, Ace... And we get to see... Ace. So Ace has called the police to get them to meet him there. Yes. Uh, and we get, to see him, we get to see him do some... some uh, so we get to see him be kind of a hero because he does all this goofy stuff sneaking around the docks and like some bits with boats, but he does dispatch the goons in a pretty creative manner. He does, and I also like when he, he's squaring off with um, Einhorn that they actually throw punches at each other, and then he takes her and smashes her face against this pole several times. Yeah, it's she's got some physical comedy chops of her own. I mean, she, she's really game in this scene, but then we get, you know, we get the SWAT team to show up and I, and Einhorn's whole thing is, Oh, Ace is been behind the whole thing. He's crazy. Shoot him. And then Ace is like, no, no, the police lieutenant's behind the whole thing and nobody believes him. And Ace looks like he's going to go down, but that's when Courtney Cox comes in with Tone Loke, pretending to hold Tone Loke hostage to give Ace time. Right, and I think it's it's this part where he Ace is in a tough spot, and he he wants to prove his his theory that I think is just really I feel bad for Sean Yun in this part. It just seems very um, I don't know, well, very mean spirited. Where he well, he strips off, he says Einhorn is Finkel, and he rips off her top, and you see her her bra and her breasts, and then he rips off her pants, and you see he, her her panties. And this is also after he tries to rip off what he thinks is a wig, but it's her natural hair. Right, but it's her hair, and she's... I'm surprised well, they didn't have him mess with the hair longer, actually. But yeah, it's... So she's there exposed in her underpants. 
And then the reveal is they have her turn around and he has his, she has the, the penis tucked up behind. And it's, it's in such a way where you can't quite make out what it is. They have to explain what it is. I don't think I even got that joke really as a kid watching this the first well, time. Well, beyond, beyond that, as somebody, as somebody who used to do Rocky Horror Picture Show, there are better ways to tuck yourself so that that does not happen to you. Um, and, but yeah, this, this is, this is the scene where like, if this were to happen in real, in, in real life, it would be horrific. Uh, it's all about humiliation and it's just, it, it could have yeah. done some different, I, I like, I don't know. I'm not a writer of the, I'm a screenwriter or anything, but they could have maybe said enough about the football game that would have caused her to break her cover and. Or, or like, or, or just make, make, make it a, make it a boner joke. Make some dumb thing happen that gives her a ridiculously, gives her a comedy erection. But yeah, it's, sure. it's, and, and I guess the thing that, cause I, like I can, I can totally understand being a trans person and watching this scene and being horrified by it. Uh, and, and I think what, what makes it worse is that the character, so far as we know, is that the character isn't even trans this is just the the lowest einhorn is just a cover identity if a man if a male hiker had been lost in the woods then presumably ray finkel would be disguised as that man and so like it this is this is the scene that this is the scene that does not hold up oh, and right it's a, it's and also i think that doesn't it have the reaction of like all the uh, police officers are like acting all grossed out and stuff too yeah, they kind of go through in fast forward everything Ace went in, which it's it's a cheap it's it's a cheap gag, and yet it would seem to imply that Einhorn has made out with everyone in the police department. Yeah, which that's something that they could have made a better meal out of is if Einhorn had been seducing everyone in the police department, but instead it just makes it makes everyone that kind of reaction is something that should only come from Ace. Giving anyone else that absurd reaction detracts from the comedy of the movie. Well, and it's not really a good ending that the way he, he proves his point is he just strips her naked and points out she has a penis. Like, yeah, and then and then so when uh, when she tries to get revenge, he just flips her he flips her into the water. Uh, but the dolphin is returned to the Miami Dolphins in time for the Super Bowl. Dan Marino is freed. Uh, I do like the bit where, <laughs> rather than the police taking Dan Marino back to the stadium, Dan Marino rides with Ace in his busted ass car <laughs> with the police escort. Yeah, and Dan Marino plays himself, and um, his acting isn't great, but it's fine for what it is. I think he 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 just again plays things pretty straight he doesn't try to give like two comedic readings to his lines well he's allowed to play himself he's allowed to be dan marino they don't ask they don't ask him to do anything that he can't do right it's not as awkward as where a uh, an athlete has to shoulder a whole episode of saturday night live and beyond, beyond that like even when we see him when we see him doing the isotoner commercial that's so so good and so just on brand for a football player doing an endorsement. I'm kind of shocked that that scene wasn't lifted from the movie to make a real Isotoner commercial. Yeah, because you see you see athletes do that all all the time, whether it's for underpants or deodorant or batteries or, or whatever. But uh, we do get we do get one last bit of business because you know. Uh, so Ace is at the Super Bowl. Uh, everybody's everybody's really everybody's really happy. Which, by the way, you can you can tell the low budget for this movie because the Super Bowl appears to be taking place in a in a little league stadium. Yeah, 
which, but in a way, though, I do find that charming. I like it when a, a low-budget movie doesn't disguise the fact that it didn't cost a lot of money. But um, we do end on one last bit of comical business, because Ace uh, earlier Ace Ventura was trying to find this rare pigeon, but he couldn't catch it. Well, the pigeon has landed on top of the Gatorade dispenser at the Super Bowl, so Ace tries to catch it. But the mascot for the other team comes up and scares the pigeon away. And Ace is like, you just cost me $32,000. And he gets into a fight with the mascot. And it ends with Ace on the Jumbotron. Like, and the man who made all this possible, Ace Ventura, pet detective. We cut to the Jumbotron of Ace Ventura beating the shit out of a man in an eagle costume. Right. And, uh... And then, like a cartoon, the movie irises out on Jim Carrey's face. And that's when we get Tone Loke's song about Ace Ventura. I think this uh, this movie holds up pretty well, really. I mean, I think, you know, there's problems with, with the the ending, I think, the how they handle the reveal of Einstein and Finkel. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I think it it's a good film sort of major film debut for Jim Carrey he'd been in a lot of other movies before this but this was a sort of big introduction to uh, American audiences and yes before this like the two biggest things he had been in there was like Earth Girls Are Easy and uh, Once Bitten right and it's um, it gives an excuse for for Jim Carrey just to be loud and and crazy and it led him to uh, to great success and I like that it's a real mystery you get a little bit of a mystery story. I wish they would have played that up a bit more. I, I say sequel, yes. Yeah, mo- aside aside from the 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 climax with the the sort of quote unquote unmasking of Einhorn, this movie holds up really well. Now that that scene is an albatross around this movie's neck, and it can be an, it could be an absolute deal breaker. But overall, I'm going to have to say sequel, yes. There's a reason why this movie catapulted Jim Carrey to stardom. Yep, so how did you uh, pitch a sequel for this one? The way, okay, so the way I want to do a sequel, I loved Tone Loke in this movie. I wish there was more of them. So my sequel is going to be Ace Ventura uh, and uh, Tone Loke uh, are going to team up. It's going to be a buddy cop movie uh, with with them working together. So Tone Loke will be kind of the straight man. Jim Carrey will be will be Jim Carrey. Uh, and so the, what, what makes things, what gets things rolling is that... Uh, the, the the city of Miami is so impressed by what uh, what Ace Ventura did in this movie uh, that uh, and with Einhorn going to prison because of being involved in the kidnapping, there's a whole shakeup at the Miami Police Department, uh, and uh, Tone Loke uh, Tone Loke gets uh, gets promoted, but in the course of getting promoted, there's another high, there's another high profile animal crime. And the short version is is that uh, Tone Loke gets framed for the crime, and everybody's like, "Oh, it's the whole Einhorn thing uh, going over again." The lieutenant's going to be behind it, uh, and I'll say, since it's Florida, I will say it involves alligators, uh, like somebody's killing or smuggling alligators. That's what it is. We're going to give it an environmental message. Somebody is killing alligators in Florida's wetlands to make uh, to make alligator skin purses, and it's all being done illegally. Uh, so. Uh, because the because uh, Tone Loke is found with a bunch of alligator skin goods, people assume that he's involved with it. So 
So Ace Ventura teams up with him to clear his name, and we get to see them travel all over Florida. Uh, they go into the Everglades. They do all sorts of. They have all sorts of amazing adventures, often involving physical comedy and crocodiles. All to get, all to find out uh, who's been behind uh, the smuggling of the illegal alligator pelts. And just because I want to bring one more person back, it's going to turn out that there's this. So there's this old Italian overweight detective who's always given Ace a hard time. It's going to turn out it's him. He's the one that's been getting the police department to look the other way and allowing these alligator poachers uh, to get away with things. So it's all going to end. It's all going to end in a, a crazy swamp battle involving uh, involving those hydroplane boats, and that's how that's how uh, Tone Loke is going to get his name cleared. Hmm. Uh, and and it will call it Ace Ventura Two sooner or Gator. Very good. If I was to do a uh, Ace Ventura sequel, I think I would have um, Ace start like a a pet obedience school, where he sort of retired being a detective and he wants people to be with their pets better and, and so forth. But um, unfortunately, you know, one day where he's training two dogs, uh, he, he does a mix-up, he's not paying attention, he puts some little dogs next, next to some big dogs, and the big dogs uh, kill the little dogs. And Ace is so shattered, he says, you know, that's it, I'm never going to work with pets again. But then he learns that his, um, his parrot from uh, the first film, and we'll make, we'll, we'll do some sort of a flashback to him as a kid to make this parrot really important has um, has gone missing, and so he goes to do one last detective case to get his favorite pet back. And it would uh, have him, because this parrot, I guess, can fly great distances for whatever reasons, uh, this would be sort of a, a bit of a road trip movie where he goes to different places. And it would be called Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura's final uh, last case. <laughs> Actually, I think it should be Ace Ventura's final last case. That yeah. would be a great Ace title. Ventura's final last case. Yeah, sure. That works. <laughs> so I've got a question for you, Matt. Yes. What you watching? Oh, okay. So I, I, I watched, um, I, I was with a friend and helped him with some... Uh, I gave him a ride uh, to the, the hospital. He had to get some stuff checked out, and he's not able to drive currently. So, uh, And we were catching up on stuff. We came back to his place, and uh, he mentioned there is a movie on Netflix. And it, it sounded so bad, I had to watch it, and so he, he was game. We sat down to watch the uh, 2017 live-action Woody Woodpecker film. I keep seeing that show up as a recommended, but I feel like it might be another Yogi Bear type situation. So I haven't seen Yogi Bear, but the plot of this reminds me more of a Yogi Bear story than Woody Woodpecker. And um, I only saw, you know, like the cartoon in the 80s, which I think just might have been repeats of the old shorts. I'm not quite sure. Uh, And this, I mean, so I'll tell you the storyline and tell me if this sounds like Yogi Bear to you, because it sure as hell did for me. Um... There, there's a rich, uh, there's a family that's divorced, and the, the dad's a lawyer, has a lot of money, and he has a young, a younger uh, girlfriend, and he uh, he decides he's going to uh, take this plot of land that his grandfather owned, 
uh, it's sort of in the woods uh, near the Canadian border, and he's going to build a huge uh, modern house, and uh, then they're going to flip it and make a profit. They're going to sell it and make a profit. But this encroaches on a lot of wildlife, and so Woody Woodpecker tries to stop him from doing so. And in the meantime, Woody Woodpecker uh, has a, a heartwarming relationship with this guy's uh, son. Hmm. I think my, my biggest problem with this, despite, you know, the acting being bad and it being live action, and you had a CG Woody Woodpecker who, um, is, it has a lot of, a lot of poop jokes and a lot of farting jokes. Is, is Woody Woodpecker a sufficient enough asshole like he is in the old cartoons? And I say this as somebody who likes old Woody Woodpecker cartoons. I don't think so. I mean, he... Some of the stuff he does is, like, accidental. I mean, they, they try to make him be, like, heartwarming or whatever. There, there's, like, a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of business of, like, hunters trying to hunt him because he's, like, the last of this type of bird uh, that's worth a lot of money, or woodpecker, I should say. And um, and so he, like, these guys have these darts that are supposed to make you fall asleep, and he tricks them so they shoot each other. Classic. Um, yeah, you know, very sort of cartoon gag. He, um... But no, I don't think he's a huge asshole as he could be. On the other hand, he does he does stuff like the bad guys are at the fair licking an ice cream cone, and he poops on an ice cream cone, and the bad guy eats it, and he still likes it. Huh. Uh, there's a few scenes where he's, he poops on the hair of the girlfriend of the, the guy that's trying to build the property. Uh, he keeps on, like, knocking down... Um, the, there's this really terrible effect they do whenever he's in a fight or trying to do something. Instead of animating him doing it really fast, they just sort of animate a cloud over what's happening. Now, do you think they were trying to play tribute to classic animation fight clouds, or do you think they were doing that to cover an inability to properly animate and composite that kind of action? I think both, but, you know, there's a lot of him, like, they're trying to set up the foundation to the house, and he knocks it down. They're trying to cut down a tree, and he makes them fall on their construction equipment. Like, it feels a lot like Home Alone in a way, um, except it just takes place in the outdoors. Um, it, it This movie, you know, was made uh, for the Brazilian market, really, because Woody Woodpecker is very popular over there. And this came out in theaters in Brazil uh, late 2017, but it only just hit DVD and streaming uh, about a month ago in the United States. And so Woody Woodpecker has been a cartoon since the 1940s, but this one, it just... The Woody Woodpecker seems really plugged in. I think you could take out Woody Woodpecker and still have a movie here because you have this way too much time spent on, uh, you know, the the dad is an asshole to his kid, and the kid um, meets a girl in the town who wants to start a who oh, who uh, whose dad owns a music shop and she lets him have a guitar if he'll play in her band for the big country fair. So, like, a lot of this, like, little kid movie stuff and a lot of the estranged family stuff. Um, and then it just happens to have a woodpecker in there. And you, they, they have a, a thing where Woody Woodpecker loves peanut butter. And so they, uh -huh. they trick him into doing things with peanut butter. And at the end, you have something where, uh, where the fat kid in the group uh, is sick to his stomach, has, has food poisoning. And he can't, uh, from, from a hot dog eating contest, so he can't be the drummer. And Woody Woodpecker has to be the drummer for the show. Um, 
And, and, and God, it's, something just pisses me off about this movie. So, like, it has them practice music for the band, uh, for the show, but then that's not what they perform at the show. Um, one of the worst scenes is Woody Woodpecker eats beans and then farts out the Woody Woodpecker theme song. Oh. <laughs> It's um yeah it's it's bad but you you might get a good laugh out of it just to see how how inept it is. Um, at one point, Woody Woodpecker tries to kill the girlfriend by setting her whole RV on fire. What what the is explosion. the motivation for that? He's trying to get them to leave, but like it's it's really it's a big explosion, and then she comes out like a cartoon character with her face blackened and the hair sticking out. Um. Yeah, this is this is a bad movie. But I will say, you know, director and co-writer Alex Zam has done other um, sequels, direct-to-video sequels, like Inspector Gadget 2, Dr. Doolittle Million Dollar Mutts, Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2, Tooth Fairy 2, and Jingle All the Way 2. Yeah, yeah I, I always forget that Jingle All the Way had a sequel. With Larry the Cable Guy? Yep. Oh, oh. Almost 20 years after the fact. That's right. Not a short snagger in sight. Um, oddly enough, he also directed episodes of Upright Citizens Brigade. So, huh. there you go. Interesting. But yeah, this is just a bad, bad, bad movie. But you might have fun with it if you're in the right mood. Um, yeah, a lot of lot of poop jokes is what what sticks out. And I told that to my mom, and she was sort of disgusted. She's like, "Woody Woodpecker wouldn't poop in things. He just would do his stupid laugh." Wouldn't peck people's heads. Peck people's heads, and he he does peck people's heads, but he does it as a sign of affection. Um, huh. And so you get the uneasy, you know, compositing of a guy acting like his head is being hurt while Woody is is pecking him. Oh, and then the boy names the woodpecker Woody, even though it's already his name. Oh, God, that is so blame. And th- th- there's an even lamer scene where Woody, he, he carves out a, uh, um, what is it? It is like a wooden carving drawing of himself as a family member with the dad and the boy. But the way he draw- draws the man and the boy, they look grotesque. They look deformed. But when he does this, he accidentally sets the house on fire and destroys it. <laughs> and so they blame it on Woody. And then later they find the charred remains of the, the picture he was trying to do. Oh, so, wow. It, it, I think you almost have to see this to, to believe it. But it's, um, I will say I that... Like I feel like it's going to break my heart because I love those old cartoons. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, uh, Eric Bauza, uh, who's a voiceover artist... Um, you might recognize him from doing the voice of Stimpy and the uh, versions of Ren and Stimpy that aired on Adult or not on uh, um, uh, Spike TV. Oh yeah, the Adult Party cartoons. Um, he voices Woody Woodpecker. And he does a really good job of getting the voice right and the laugh. Like that's not that's not the problem. And I, the CG uh, version of Woody Woodpecker looks good. Like I don't, they didn't make him look bad. Like he looks enough like the character. He has little freckles. He has the the swoop in his hair. Like that. That is not the problem. It's just the storyline is awful. That has almost nothing to do with Woody Woodpecker. It's like you jammed him into like a, a family movie. 
And yet, you have some weird, uh, inappropriately adult material in here, uh, to my mind, where, like, they're, they're the, the family, the, the dad, his new girlfriend, and the son are driving to the, in the RV to the campout thing, and the girlfriend says, oh, I need my Zannies, as in Xanax. Hmm. So, yeah, there you go. What do you pecker? Um, what about you? What have you been watching? Well, that, well, okay, so you, you, <laughs> your what you're watching beats mine. I got kind of lost uh, over this past weekend in a, in a wormhole of trying to track down other puppet-based product projects that, uh, that uh, Paul Fusco, the creator and performer of ALF, was involved in. Uh, and this was, this was all spurned by seeing somebody post a clip of this, uh, puppet show the special he did called the valentine's day that almost wasn't which i recall which i know i saw but apparently like it doesn't exist anywhere there's two clips on youtube and that's it which is weird because it's the kind of thing it is the kind of thing that somebody would have pulled off of a vhs and posted online by now um but during the course of of digging into these other uh, puppet projects he had been involved in several of which i had in fact seen I came across uh, one that I hadn't, uh, this obscure Halloween special from 1989, which was made to be aired back-to-back with a rerun of the Garfield uh, Halloween special, was The Wickedest Witch, starring Rue McClanahan. Okay. You remember Rue McClanahan from The Golden Girls? Yes. So Blanche Devereaux. So yeah, anytime you find a Golden Girls actress in something else, uh, it's kind of wild. Like for instance, Rue McClanahan is in the uh, exploitation film Hollywood After Dark, but in Wicked in, in Wickedest Witch, she she plays an evil witch who looks almost identical to the evil witch from uh, Stardust that was played by uh, oh crud not Nicole Kidman uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. Like this, this special is not good. Like all of the co- all the comedy, it burns out all the comedy within the first scene. Uh, and the best gag is that there's a soda machine that has an all-knowing being imprisoned in it. Nothing else lives up to that. And yet, the puppetry in this show or in this special is amazing. Hmm. And particularly her sidekick, who's this little like dragon creature. That puppet is so articulate and expresses so much character in every little movement it's worth watching for the puppets alone but you probably want to turn the sound off after the drink machine scene because it's just not good after that okay so Rue McClanahan in The Wickedest Witch which which is also available Uh, somebody has posted that on YouTube ripped from a VHS so that one is at least accessible cool so it looks like we don't have the um, I'm going to check to see if the chat is working oh so we can do another uh, another script read yeah did you see that message oh yes yes I did let me okay uh, so I will pull, I had a, a scene pulled up here um, do you want to be Ace Ventura I guess, uh, I guess I, I have to be, yeah. Well, I can be if you want. What are you, what's your Well, preference? no, no, I want to do it because I want to try to see if I can do the same rapid delivery that he did in the scene. Yeah, okay. So, 
to give you context, this is the scene where uh, Mr. Finkel is, is talking to Ace about his With son. With a shotgun in Ace's face. Yeah. What do you know about Ray Finkel? Ace sucks in a huge breath of air. Soccer-style kicker, graduate from Collier High, June 1976. Stetson University Honors graduate, class of 1980. Holds two NCAA Division I records, one for most points in a season, one for distance. Former nicknamed the Mule, first and only pro athlete ever to come out of Collier County, and one hell of a model American. You were another one of those hard copy guys. No, sir. I'm just a very big Finkel fan. This is my Graceland. Pretty good. I like that he says, this is my Graceland. Yeah, that's a nice specific thing. Because it's a very unassuming house. You know, it just looks like a regular house, unless you happen to know. I mean, I guess there is all the Finkel graffiti outside, but... Oh, yeah. Well, actually, I do have to ask, what, uh, what is your Graceland? Oh, my Graceland, jeez. Um, well, they, they, this isn't open to the public, but I would love to see uh, Lucasfilm. And oh, see all the yeah. Star Wars props and paintings and stuff on display. Although I understand, you know, when um, when George Lucas finally finishes with it, that he is going to do some sort of a modern art museum somewhere that will have a lot of that artwork. But yeah, I, 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 guess, I, I guess to see, like, Lucasfilm, uh, the Lucasfilm Star Wars props and everything would be my mind. What about yours? I don't know. I guess, like, if in an earlier time, I would have said my Graceland was the Mad Magazine offices, but then mm, I actually yeah. went there and I met the usual gang of idiots, uh, and uh, it was pretty awesome, actually. But, like, it, today, I don't know. Today, I guess my Graceland would either be Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, or H.P. Lovecraft's grave. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess if I was to... I don't quite take mine back, but I thought of a second one really quick, and, and you can oh. think of a second one, too. Um, or a third one. A third <laughs> one, yeah, right, because you just listed two. Um, I would love to see, like, the... Um, it's a tourist attraction, but the, the Dracula Castle in Transylvania. Ooh, the, the actual castle fortress the actual of Vlad castle, the Impaler. Of Vlad Impaler, yeah. They've wow. made it into a tourist attraction. That would be pretty cool. And you got to kidnap Christopher Lee and make him be your tour guide. Yeah, Christopher Lee's corpse. <laughs> Wait, is he dead? Yes, he's been. Yeah, he died. What? No! How did I not know? You didn't know? Let me. It, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, he died. I hate that this is how. Oh, I actually, have to three. Find out. Well, twenty fifteen, longer than I thought. How did I not know? Don't know. I mean. It, Oh, wow. Well, He, he died at age 93. Um, you know, and apparently, of... he, because he recorded some voice roles, he's still got stuff that's coming out. Really? Yeah, apparently he he's the narrator for an upcoming science fiction movie called The Time War. Okay. 280 credits. How about that? Yeah. That man was a machine. Yeah, he uh, was a man that liked to work, did all sorts of things, and uh, and that's just crazy. All the different, all the different work he did over the years, from you know all the Dracula films to doing uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. W original Wicker Man. Original well, he's in both Wicker Man, isn't he? Not to mention he was. Um, 
He wasn't he Death in the Discworld? Uh, yes, he did voice Death World in several Discworld. He did. He voiced Death <laughs> in several Discworld adaptations. And, uh, Weird Sisters and Soul Music and uh... Hogfather uh, too, I believe. Oh, is he in? Okay, yeah. Well, I didn't mean for this to turn into an impromptu Christopher Lee uh, tribute, but uh, good on you, Mr. Lee. Yep. All right, um, so next week, we're going to talk about Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls. And the week after that, we're going to be looking at the uh, direct-to-video sequel. Um, I don't even know what it's called. Ace Ventura. Ace, okay, the, the direct-to-video <laughs> sequel, which came out in 2009 and makes this a trilogy, is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective Jr., and I've never seen this one. I'm very curious about it. I don't know if it's the young Ace Ventura. I don't know if it's his son. Uh, it is It is supposed to be his son. Legitimate or illegitimate, I don't know. Maybe Courtney Cox? I feel is, like is the, the movie mother. had to have been made in order for somebody to maintain some sort of rights to something else. I, I don't know why it exists. But we'll get to that in, in the third installment of the series. Yes. Um... So that's sort of a preview of what we have coming up um, for SequelCast. Uh, follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Follow me at Internet Mayor. And um, for SequelCast 2, uh, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. Something ain't stirring the Kool-Aid, man. Don't worry, ma'am. Ace will find your pussy. Half that is. You know, uh, Ace. I was uh, checking you out and everything, and I have to admit, you are the best pet detective there is. Although uh, you are the only pet detective there is, uh, you're still number one. I got to go. uh, My zebra's double parked outside. Peace. To the West Side Tribe. Tell them who's in the house.